Hey, hey, Chuck. Hey. You've seen Back to the Future? I think so. Do you remember um, the the Back to the Future soundtrack? Not not like the score, but like the music used in the movie. You mean the music that was done by Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah, yeah. You remember that? Uh, I, I do, yes. Do you remember that one song that went, back in time? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. It was pretty cool, right? I, it is pretty cool. That song was also used in the animated series intro. What, back in time? Yeah, back in time. I don't know if that works as a cold open or not. I just, <laughs> I'm so bad at improving. Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm JP, your moderator. Uh, you know. Well, I think, by the way, it's funny. I, I keep wanting to adjust this microphone to, like, bring it close to myself, and it's it's not plugged in. <laughs> um, like, Rush Limbaugh, like, just. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, no, I, um. What's funny to me about that whole conversation that we just had is it was clearly rooted in the discussion we had before we started recording about the Kevin Nealon bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it really kind of came across more like Chris Farley once again. Uh, <laughs> hey, you, you remember when when you said that the love you make is equal to the love you take? That that was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's kind of what I was going for. Super hack, I know, um, but. Whatever, I was off the top of my head. I'm just not a, I'm not an improviser. I'm not trained. I didn't go to UCB or Second City. I went to Palm Beach Atlantic University. Were you ever part of Alice? I auditioned for Alice, and I got into the... Did we audition together? No, I auditioned with um, another roommate. It was a different, I think it was actually like a different year altogether. Oh, Okay. But I actually got really far. I got into the, I was in the very last phase. And uh, the reason why they did not pick me up is because when they started doing the games, like the onstage games, I couldn't right. do it. I yeah, just couldn't do it at all. I was, I was breaking like uh, Jimmy Fallon, man. I was just <laughs> constantly laughing. I could not keep my, keep my stuff together. Um, for those who don't know, Palm Beach Atlantic University used to have a fairly well-celebrated improv group called Alice, another live improv comedy experience. And uh, during my first year at PDA, I decided to try to break out and get to know people. And so I auditioned. And um, was it my first year or my second year? Anyway, I tried, I tried to break out and, and audition for it. And it's, can I just tell you, it's one of those memories that, you know, every now and then you have your mem- you have certain memories that pop up in your head and you get embarrassed by them and you cringe just thinking about That's stuff like my you did. entire life. So yes. Yeah. So th- th- my experience with that is one. And I feel like if I say this in this episode, it may be finally expunge this demon. And if, um, do you remember Jackie? She, uh, yeah, she was my vampire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I remember. Yeah. I just read as a vampire. If she's listening to this episode, I have to I have to expunge a demon that's in my head because I feel like oh, no. we like weren't friends after my experience with <laughs> Alice. Because um 
this other roommate that we just that we've referenced uh, accompanied me, and as we were going to the uh, rehearsal space. I just decided to grab his airsoft gun and bring it with me. I was like, maybe I could just throw this in there as a prop. <laughs> and uh, I, anyway, uh, during the uh, during one of our, our improv skits, I just thought I, I was bombing bad. And I thought, well, I'll just pull out the airsoft gun and, and incorporate <laughs> it without warning anyone that I had done this. And uh, the, the actual sheer look of terror on Jackie's face. Um, First of all, and, she hated being called Jackie. Jacqueline's face. Jacqueline. She liked, yeah, <laughs> Jacqueline. Uh-huh. Uh On her face was uh, was was real, <laughs> and and I just I I just have to say, and if, uh, Skiola I think was was in that too, so she may have memories of me doing this. In which case, if you do, I promise I'm not insane. It was just a really bad idea, poorly thought out, that I thought could do something and. I'm pretty sure it was, in addition to my Jimmy Fallon giggling throughout everything, was the thing that probably made people stay far away from me. <laughs> I actually think that's brilliant, Chuck. Um, <laughs> but it does require a certain finesse to pull it off. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think I was wearing my communist flag t-shirt, <laughs> yeah. too. It's just, I was PDA's nightmare at that moment. Right. Um Really funny because I think if that were today, you would have gotten expelled. <laughs> oh, totally. Without a doubt. It's kind of funny you weren't expelled then because Florida is a no-tolerance state. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's great. I, I love that you did that. I love that you did that. Okay. Well, um, I don't, but. <laughs> I I had so much fun during my audition. Um, and the other roommate we were talking about. I knew he wasn't going to get it because all he was doing was quoting uh, other comedians and like stealing their material hmm. and like doing their impressions and stuff. Me, not not me, baby. That's way more cringeworthy than what I did. It is way more cringeworthy. <sighs> We're not here to talk about improv comedy or how bad JP is at it, or how Ch or how Father Chuck. <laughs> cause existential terror. That's great. I mean, I think what you did. Like, that is what Stephen Colbert always talked about, right? About, like, what he learned at Second City was, that, like, if you're bombing, to lean into it. And you, like, you oh, yeah. really leaned into it. I did. But that's, I mean, I mean, it didn't work, but. <laughs> I'm sure if there's a recording of it somewhere, it's it would probably be, like, a pretty good example of anti-comedy. <laughs> I think so, too. I think it's great. I love it. I love that you did that, man. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm your moderator, JP. I'm here with Father Chuck. Hey. And, uh, listen, I'm not just wearing these sunglasses and popping this collar, uh, because I think it's cool. I mean, it is cool. It really is an ode to, uh... Top Gun. <laughs> I don't like you, Maverick. You're loose cannon. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do a Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this is mostly an ode to my my childhood hero, uh, one Marty McFly. Uh, uh, old from Martin Netflix. Martin McFly. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna wear. I'm not gonna be the sunglasses guy. I don't want to do that. That's. 
Well, the ring light, like I, the whole time you wear the sunglasses, I keep wanting the ring light reflection till I line up with your pupils. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a hip hop video. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah. No money, pro- no money, no problems. Totally. Um, so this week we're going to be talking. We thought it would be fun to talk to do to do our our uh, sort of franchise deep dive episode, which we haven't done since I think last year with Indiana Jones, right? Bum, ba, dum, bum, and so now bum, we're going to do it with Back to the Future. It's just going to be me and Chuck. Uh, but I'm excited, Chuck. I. I you know, I I watched back to the first Back to the Future to prepare, and while I'm watching this movie, I'm like, I don't even really need to watch this, oh, um, no. because it is like this movie is in my DNA mm-hmm. at this point. <laughs> um, and I figured that's probably the same thing for the sequels, and, and it pretty much is. But I also have thoughts about the sequels. I feel like what's going to be great about this, and would probably annoy most people who listen to the podcast, is like. This is just my time just to like vomit out everything I've ever thought about Back to the Future. As a franchise. Yes. And I do want to go through each movie one by one, though, if that's okay with you. That's fine. Cool. Um, so uh, if you're not familiar with Back to the Future, Back to the Future is about... Uh, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. That. I'm not going to listen. If you don't know what Back to the Future is, I don't know why you're listening to this. Um, Wikipedia, pause wikipedia.org <laughs> or it's currently streaming on netflix i do believe yeah 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 the trilogy is on netflix um chuck when did you first watch back to the future the first one um let's see what well, came in 85 yeah yeah so i think i caught it i think i caught it like on a home video rental yeah when like someone else was watching it. Cause my mom had a boyfriend at the time named Adam and they used to watch a lot of these things. And so I, like, I remember the first time I saw Ghostbusters was at like his parents' house while they were watching it. And the, uh, the library ghost freaked me right out. So, um, I, it took me a while to warm up to Ghostbusters, but back to the future. Like I didn't see the first, I don't recall ever seeing the first one in theaters. I saw the sequel in theaters and I remember being really excited at the, uh, little trailer for the third part at the end of it. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I watched it on TV. My, my most fond early memories of it though, was catching it on like a, you know, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon broadcast somewhere, mm-hmm. um, and, and watching it that way. And that was really probably the, the, the way I watched it mostly for a long time until I bought the DVD and then could actually like you know, kind of sit down and watch it without commercial interruptions and censorship and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I, it was, I was a kid. I was, I had to have been like five or six the first time I saw it. Cause it was enough, it was enough for me to go see back to the future too, when it came out in theaters. Right. That came in 89. Yeah. Same year as Batman. Unbelievable. (laughs) What an unbelievable year. And UHF. Yeah. Um, I watched it. I actually, I, I remember the first time I watched it. Um, very young in this house, actually. Uh, I, and I think it was during a holiday of some kind, and I was, <clears throat> I was put away. Uh, one of those things where like the adults need to be alone, and so mm-hmm. they just like put me in a room with a TV, and Back to the Future was playing. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I saw Star Wars for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I remember uh, they gave me like two hot dogs. They're like, here, eat the eat this, watch this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and I just remember, you know, chowing down on hot dogs and like watching this kid, Marty McFly, on the skateboard. And that that was the scene where I like was where they put where they, when they put me into the room, that was the scene had just started. I remember just thinking like, that's a weird looking skateboard. <laughs> um, and uh, also being like, wow, this is like the coolest scene I've ever seen in my life. And also, this kid is amazing. I want to be him. Um, and I think that's what Back to the Future was to me at that age. When I say that age, I was like five, four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And like, I think I just, I just, I just loved Marty. I just thought Marty was the coolest person in the world. And I just, I wanted to be him. I wanted to learn how to skateboard. I bought the Back to the Future video game for the for Nintendo, which is like notoriously oh. terrible. Yeah, uh, and I remember, oh my gosh, I hated that video game so much. I remember just being so utterly disappointed. I remember now that you brought it up, I remember renting that from Blockbuster and being like, "What? What is? What is this?" Yeah, and like I got it because I mean we were at Toys R Us, and I was there to buy a video game, I guess, and I saw Back to the Future. I'm like, of course. I want it. <laughs> like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nintendo cartridges back then, like $65. <laughs> and this game was terrible. Oh, my gosh. Even back then, like, this sucks. I just heard the, the theme song. Do, 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 Just on repeat, nonstop, the entire game. Well, that's the thing that, that a lot of kids these days don't really realize is that i mean kind of i guess but for the most part a movie tie-in video game was pretty much guaranteed to be awful yeah, yeah. the only exception was the batman video game which was awesome <laughs> i don't remember i don't remember playing any of those sunsoft batman was great no, I don't um i think i played it i don't think i ever did um but no and then you know i the the sequel came out and i was really excited for that went to go see it Loved the hell out of it. Uh, kind of life-changing. Those hoverboards. I'm like, I want one. <laughs> like, right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> See, you talk about the first movie and that being the thing that resonated with you. It was Back to the Future 2 when it really resonated for me. Yeah. And that that probably started me on, like, a lifelong obsession with the future as a concept. And we did that episode about the future. Yeah. And that, to me, was just like, that's... I was looking forward to that because I kind of started my head, my stupid young head was like, Oh, I'm going to wake up one day and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be flying cars and hoverboards and inside out pockets and all that. <laughs> oh, totally. And I remember just like, I think I might've talked about it in the episode where I just like, I didn't quite grasp what the future was. I thought the future was a place in the sky. <laughs> Cause that's where they go. Like it, 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 the DeLorean goes into the sky and then it's flying through clouds and then it, it lands, it goes through a skyway and then you land in the future. I was like, so like is the future in the clouds? <laughs> so uh, it took it took a while. I, I eventually caught on, okay. But the point is, like as a kid watching Back to the Future, it wasn't so much the concepts or even like the like the like like time travel. It was just how cool Marty was. It was like Indiana Jones, but like if he was a kid. And I think that's what really drew me to it. But you know, you keep you you keep going back to that well over and over again throughout the years as you get older, you start it starts kind of revealing itself to you why so special and why it was so good and um yeah i mean just a, a movie that just it was just like a like a sibling or something 
Um, and so like watching it again was watching it again to, to prepare or whatever to like take notes. It just felt weird. Cause that's like, it'd be, it would be like sitting down with your sibling and asking them like, where were you born? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I did, I did learn some interesting things about this movie, um, about the first movie. And let's talk about the first movie. Okay. I think what I love so much about the first Back to the Future, other than just Marty McFly being like a perfect character, um, it's hilarious. It's 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 a it's a very funny movie. It's a great r- romantic comedy, and it's like a total spin on like on like the teenage comedy, which were which were you know huge eighties. The 80s, you know, are very much characterized by fantasy and sci-fi and stuff. No one ever talks about, like, how 80s was, like, the perfect decade for comedies. What are you talking about, man? Everybody knows about the the John Hughes films. Yeah, there's that. Right. They're all, And they were all, they were all com- uh, romantic comedies. That's true. Um, but no one, I've been saying, like, no one thinks, no one talks about the 80s being, like, the, to me, is like, the golden age of, of like, comedy on, on film. Probably. I mean, because, yeah, you got you start out with things like um, was Porky's in the 80s or was that like yeah. 70s? Yeah. yeah. So you start with stuff like that and you get like head of the class, a lot of Rodney Dangerfield comedies going on at that time. Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Um, Animal <clears throat> House. Uh, um, I said Caddyshack too. <laughs> <laughs> My dad took me to see that movie in theaters. <laughs> um, Wrong choice. Uh, but yeah, you know, but you're—I mean, you're right. Like the comedy is and National then even less movies, the vacation movies. Like, yeah, um, adventures in babysitting. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and then you know, of course, the the way that they branch off into these like where they're comedic, sort of adventure films, you know, like Karate Kid and right. and things like that too. Um, no, you're right. I mean, comedy really is a, a, a Scrooge. Holy crud! I mean. Um, Bill Murray's entire character, Ghostbusters, like his, but Bill Murray's entire career is, is eighties comedies. Right. Um, yeah, yeah no. you're right. Sorry. I could just keep doing member berries on this, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. It just, it's just a, it, it just, I remember watching it when we, when we were in college, our homecoming was like back to the future themed. Yeah. It was the, uh, under the, the enchanted under the sea dance. Yeah. And they had a screening of it, like, like an outdoor screening of it. I remember sitting down and just like, I guess it was like the first time I ever just like sat down with it to watch it with a crowd. My first time ever actually. And just, I just remember like what struck me was like, I'm laughing a lot. Like, this is not just like how cool Marty McFly is or how like fun the time travel stuff is, but like, Oh, this is a really funny movie. About a guy whose who's, uh, mom is attracted to him. <laughs> He's trying to hook his dad up with her. Um, and uh, I think a lot of that, you just sort of, you can owe it to um, the supporting cast, who are just really brilliant. From Crispin Glover's legendary portrayal as George McFly, to Leah Thompson as Lorraine. And, uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd as Doc, of course. And uh, 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 um, oh, what's this? Thomas Wilson as Biff, who I think, in a way, kind of he kind of steals the entire trilogy. Yeah, from Michael J. Fox. That's something I'm kind of learning as I'm as I'm growing older. I'm starting to look at, at look at these movies as like Biff's movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and it's, I, one of the I have a I have a friend who is friends with with him. Oh, really? That's awesome. At, yeah, and uh, he's shared some stories about interacting with him over the years, and and just how he's just like, you know, he's happy not to be in the Hollywood machine, and he's just sort of like a really just genuinely nice guy. That's cool. I I watched a I watched one of his stand up specials once. Mm-hmm. And like the first thing he talks about is okay. I'm gonna get some things out of the way here. <laughs> he just like goes through every single thing like people bug him about concerning Back to the Future. As like yeah, he has <laughs> he carries a laminate. He carries like in his pocket like printed up cards. Yeah, I uh, heard about that. <laughs> that he hands to people when they need him. Sorry, I turned on my AC. Um, and uh, yeah, because so many people do have. I mean, can you imagine just how he gets pestered? Yeah, because you're you're playing like one of the I mean, I think Biff is like one of the best characters in like Hollywood blockbuster history. Mm-hmm. Um one of the best villains even so. Um but uh you know, I was watching this interview with Bob Gale. He's the guy who wrote Back to the Future and I should also mention it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, the legendary Robert Zemeckis. And he was going over um the interview was with the Russo brothers who directed, uh, you know, the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, uh, big, you know, big Marvel guys. And the whole the whole podcast they were doing was about, like, screenwriting and screenwriting structure. And it was <coughs> so amazing how Gale and Zemeckis came up with Back to the Future. I don't know if you know the story, Chuck. I do. So, which part of the story do you know? Well, the part that, the story part of the story that I know was that uh, I can't remember if it was Gale or Zemeckis, but one of them was looking through their dad's high school yeah, yearbook, Gale. and they and and he saw a picture of his dad, and he wondered if they would be friends. Yeah, he said that he was going through his dad's yearbooks, and he noticed that his dad went to the same high school he did, and he thought mm-hmm. that was weird because he never knew that. And as, as as he's going through the yearbooks, he sees like photos of him, and he notices that he was like on the student council, and that he was very, very much full of like school spirit and very rah rah rah, you know, high school or whatever. And he was like, I was not like that in high school at all. And first of all, I can't believe my dad was like this. <laughs> and he wondered like, would we even be friends in high school if I met this guy? Because I I would I don't know. And so he took that idea to Robert Zemeckis, and they're just like spitballing, like, like just like just like what we're, what we, you and I do, basically, Chuck. Right. And then Robert Zemeckis was the one to be like, "Yeah, that would be funny. Like you going to like be friends with your dad in high school. Like, what if you met your mom, and she's all like prim and prim and proper now, but like back then she was like a floozy or something." <laughs> and they just kind of laughed about that. And they and and they also had, they were developing this idea about um, a movie idea, a script about the future. And it was going to be like this highly stylized, like 1930s future, like what you'd see in uh, that movie Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, right? Okay, yeah. They were like, we want to make something that's like with like rocket ships and ray guns and like the, the, the stylized future we grew up with. We want to make a movie about that. And they had the, the, that kind of concept and a title, which was Professor Brown Goes to the Future. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, it is. 
And then they, for, speaking of titles, I'll get to that in a minute. Very funny story about the title. Then they, they merged those two ideas together, and that's how they got Back to the Future. That's how they sort of got the pitch for Back to the Future, that they took Blake Steven Spielberg and stuff, who had met them through John Milius. John Milius is the director of uh, Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn. Uh, the character of Walter from Big Lebowski is based on him. He's one of my favorite directors. John, uh, John Milius uh, is also the director of Big Wednesday, which is one of the first legendary surf movies. Um, and he was responsible. I'm trying to think of what his role was with Apocalypse Now. He wrote a big, significant chunk of the screenplay. Yeah, because he because the character of uh, Colonel Kilgore, I believe, was his creation. Yeah, and that's and most... the guy who surfs in the middle of like the combat zone, and that's yeah. I think he wrote all of his dialogue. Yeah. Um, so so I know of him through the surfing world. Right. Yeah, which is funny because you hear about the bets between George Lucas and Steven Spielberg on I think it was like Close Encounters and Star Wars or whatever. But there was a third part of the bet, and it was John Milius and Big Wednesday. And George Lucas was betting that Big Wednesday would hit it big. <laughs> and he always tells people, like, I'm, he, he owes me money. <laughs> like, hey, that movie still hasn't made the points back that I, I deserve. That's funny. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's, that's, that's inside baseball stuff. But I love, talk, I love mentioning John Milius whenever I can because he's, like, this sort of unspoken of – filmmaker and it's probably because of like he's like super conservative <laughs> very troubling politics um but anyway uh so he met so galen zemeckis through met spielberg through milius because they were hired to work on to, to do 1941 1941 was their idea if you've ever seen 1941 it's a mess it's just a mess it's like this world war ii movie have you ever seen it chuck no, I've always been intrigued by it, though. Yeah, I have it. It's it's crazy. It's like it's a World War Two movie. It takes place in California, and it's about like the Japanese invading. And there's like it's just all set pieces, all crazy set pieces of like battles in downtown L.A. and stuff. And and John Belushi plays a a, a pilot, and he's just like flying all over California, like battling the Japanese. It, it's it's insane. Um, so that's how they met. Spielberg and they came up with sort of this pitch and what I thought was interesting is like how they developed the story and what's interesting about this interview is the Russos were talking about like their whole process of writing the screenplay and it's like so structured to like a very annoying degree they're like okay when you get to act two you split it up into four quadrants and then on page 65 this has to happen and then 17 page this has to, ha this has to happen and he's like, what's the three-act structure for Back to the Future? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, and uh, it was just really funny because they had this meticulous structure. Yeah. And he's like, what we did was we, me and Zemeckis had this big whiteboard. And we knew who the characters were already because we talked about it endlessly. We knew who Marty was, we knew who Doc was, Lorraine, George, blah, blah, blah. And then we just fill out note cards of, like, what these characters do. So it's like, okay, we have Marty McFly. He needs to go back to the future. He needs to go. He needs to travel back in time. Okay, we'll put that over here. Okay, he needs to come back to the present. We'll put that over here. What else do we want him to do? Oh, well, he invents rock and roll. We'll put that right here. Uh, there's a part where he invents the skateboard. We'll put that right here. Uh, he needs to meet his parents. Yeah, that right there. And they were just, like, kind of, like, putting it together like a puzzle. 
which is really fascinating to me. They're just like coming up with ideas and obstacles for Marty to to come across, and they just rearranged it, like physically, which is like when I heard that check, it blew my mind. So I'm like, that's not how I was taught to make anything in film. <laughs> it, I was taught to go through this just rigorous structure that yeah, frankly has turned me off of screenwriting, which is why I think I haven't done it in so long. Yeah, it's funny because when I uh, when I do like whenever I'm having issues with like sermon writing or anything else that I that I do, um, I like to do like I, I I need to get a whiteboard here, but that's what I love to do is I love to get a whiteboard yeah. and I love to like just do word clouds. That's cool. And then just start looking at how they all connect, and that's worked well for me. I mean, I, I started doing my papers in college based off that premise. So, really? um, so yeah, that's that's fascinating to me that that's how they did Back to the Future. Yeah, and it's it's always it, it is fascinating because it's like they didn't know that when they were trying to like, or at least I should say the Russos didn't know that when they were trying to like break the screenplay with Bob Gale in front of them. Like, well, the inciting incident doesn't really happen until this part, and he's like, "There's not an inciting incident." I was like, "What are you talking?" About? I was like, "No, there's there's not like an inciting incident. There's just he just goes back in time." Like, <laughs> like that's that's what happens like they're, they're like okay well there's a philosophical inciting incident and it's just really funny because you could tell all girls just like mm, it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um but i always found that sort of fascinating about the movie itself because the big argument that film people have always had since i was in film school was does marty change in back to the future and according to bob gale no he doesn't and that's like by design that's fascinating. Yeah, because he's sort of the anchor and literally like history changes around him. Yeah. The the character who goes through the most change is George. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like when you and what struck me I was like, "Oh, I get it. I get why he doesn't change." It's because it's not a three-act structure. It's not a structure narrative or a story. Um because change comes with with that kind of formula but if you're just like putting things together if it's just like plot this happened then this happened then this happened then this happened therefore that happened then that that happened it's not really uh you don't have to change your character they just have to like achieve something and that's what it does he achieves his goal he comes back to the present and right. sort of accidentally <laughs> changes his future in a way right well and that's and that's sort of the thing with him is at the beginning you get the sense that he he feels out of place with the family that he has, and he feels that his yeah. family could be something else. Yeah, he's um, embarrassed by them. He's embarrassed by them, and he's got that sense of, like, he knows that they probably could have done something else in life, but that right. they sort of settled and didn't really do much. And so the fact that, like, he then goes back in time and is able to sort of be the catalyst to tell his dad, like, you know... But it was funny. Take charge of this or, you know, whatever. What's funny with this is and what's funny about it is that his motivation behind it is not to help to, like, save his parents. It's right. to save him from, like, existing from, like, being yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because his mom is in love with him. And, like, he has to, like, fix things. He's, like, just right. in, a, in a debacle and he has to fix it. And it's a, and it makes for, hilar like, a hilarious story. Um, and so I, I just found that really fascinating about the Marty character and it's like how they're just, you know, there are, and I've always known that there are characters who don't change, but to me, that's like a James Bond or like Captain America, you know, these sort of charismatic or Indiana Jones even. Um, mm -hmm. I never really saw Marty McFly like that, but 
that that's what he is. He, he changes right. the world around him, and and uh, he achieves well, his goals. And throughout the and and, and all, the other character who goes to a pretty uh, big amount of change is Doc. Right. Yeah. He has to inspire faith in his uh, his inventions. Yeah. Because when you meet him in 1955, like everything's crapping out, nothing works. Um, but that's another thing uh, uh, that's also, I mean, we got to talk about Doc. Yeah, who, and, and what a messed up dude he is, how he like burned his own house down to collect insurance money to pay for the time machine. See, that's the theory. Bob, they, asked, they asked Bob Gale about that. Is like, because Bob Gale is one that he points out, like, if you, you know, they pass over the part where like the his house is burned down. It's like, we never really say it, but did he do that on purpose? I don't know. It's up to the audience. <laughs> and I think that's that is genius. I didn't know that until recently, by the way. I didn't know that that was like sort of the underlying underlining uh, uh, thought or theory behind Doc and what I mean, go through. But I mean, it, obviously, I mean, he fits. is a. I mean, he's obviously a, you know a very ethically shady person. I mean, he's buying you know illegal materials from the Libyans. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he he's a he's like a he's like a rogue scientist, not like a mad scientist, but like just like a rogue. Like a maverick, like he doesn't play by the rules, you know. He's, he's he's inventing things out of his garage because, like, he knows that a corporation will just get a hold of it or something, and like won't release it to the public or whatever. Well, and that and that's and that's sort of his. It fits in with that, you know. It's almost like a tech bro mentality of like, I know I have to get this idea done, and and like I'm just gonna, you know, like, oh, the Libyans have the materials I need. Well, I'll just get it from the Libyans. Like, not even thinking about the moral implications of that. It's just. Which is great because he, but but they, I love the line where they're like, "So you made a bomb for this?" Like, it's okay. This is pinball parts. Like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I love that as a plot device, by the way, because it's so left field. Like, who do you think it is? It's the Libyans. <laughs> like, this movie is crazy. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it came before it, and nothing like it has come after. There have been imitators, but they, 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 you can't even come close. You can't imitate this movie. You can't reverse engineer it. You know, and I think it's it's because of that that way that they wrote it, the way that they because in a way it's like they just made their movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we go any further, quick detour about the title, Back to the Future. Um, So, I remember that there is a weird alternative title. Not yes and no. Well, not not alternative, but like one of the floated titles. Yeah, so they came up with the title Back to the Future. Um, I actually don't know the story behind how they came up with it, but whatever. It's a great title. Um, but while they were working on it, the movie was produced by Steven Spielberg, and one of the studio heads at the time was a guy named Sid Scheinberg. Sid Scheinberg. Oh, I know this story. I know this story. Okay. <laughs> Sid Scheinberg is a huge deal. Like, he was a huge deal in Hollywood. He um, basically gave Spielberg his career. He owes everything to Sid Scheinberg. And Sid Scheinberg was the studio head at the time, uh, and this movie was being made by uh, Universal. And he didn't like the title. And so he sent this memo to Galen Zemeckis, and I have the memo. I love this story. So, here here it comes. Uh, To Mr. Steven Spielberg, from Sid Scheinberg, Back to the Future, Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale. Although I believe that the present draft is terrific and I marvel at the improvements that have been made from the Columbia version, I continue to believe the title leaves much to be desired. There are a number of reasons why I found the title less than wonderful, but my primary concern is that is that it appears to make the picture a genre picture. 
I think the script, and hopefully the film, deserves a better title. Now that I have buttered you up, I would suggest <laughs> we consider the title Spaceman from Pluto. Yep. <laughs> Underpinning these suggestions are the following thoughts. Number one, modify the dialogue on page 35 so that Sherman calls Marty a spaceman from Pluto. I guess Sherman was George McFly in the original script. Um, number two. Uh, that's... Okay. Yeah. Number two, modify Marty's dialogue on page 77 so that he identifies himself as Spaceman from Pluto instead of Darth Vader from Vulcan. Number three, change the title of the book written by George and referred to on page 130 from A Match Made in Space to Spaceman from Pluto. <laughs> Obviously, you get the idea. I am sure there will be those who will argue that the movie will appear to the audience to be a cheap, old-fashioned sci-fi flick. Nonsense. I think it's a kind of title that has heat, originality, and projects fun. Most importantly, I think it avoids the feeling of a genre time travel movie. Sincerely. But a genre sci-fi movie. <laughs> I know. It, it's, that is a, a genre sci-fi. Whatever. Um, I don't know what he's thinking. Um, but I, and I don't have Steven Spielberg sent a response. I don't have the response. That's not, I don't think I was made public, but Bob Gale mentioned it in a book and it was essentially his whole idea was they were really scary. Like this is Sid Sheinberg. You don't say no to Sid Sheinberg. He's right. a studio head and Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis way down the ladder. And their only key to getting anything done was through Spielberg. And they're like, dude, He's going to change the title of our movie to Spaceman from Pluto. What do we do? What can you do? And he's like, it's all right. I got this covered. He sent a response basically just saying, like, that was a hilarious joke, Sid. That was so funny. We've been laughing about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so embarrassed they never heard from him again. What I love about Spielberg <laughs> is – People kind of sleep on the fact that he is very good with words. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's one of one of my favorite stories. That it was a birth movie's death comment that pointed this out, and I love it. And that is, you know, he is an executive producer for the for the Transformers films. Yeah, and he was one time asked about right because they're famously not good. Like they're enjoyable, but they're not. Spielberg movies and so his name is attached to him you know well one of my favorite stories is in an interview he was asked about he was asked about the Transformers movies and Spielberg's reply was there's no movies like them <laughs> it's it's brilliant because he's not really saying anything it's not praise it's just <laughs> yeah he's, he's right there is nothing else like them it's <laughs> great um gosh I really do love this period in sort of genre filmmaking. Uh, and I love the talent that's involved so much. Robert Zemeckis is such a great director. And I always kind of saw people like Zemeckis and Joe Dante as like, like Spielberg underlings, but they really weren't. They were, he just gave them a chance mm -hmm. and they were kind of doing the same thing he was, but on their own levels. And it was it's just great films were made. Like, after listen, after Zemeckis said Back to the Future, he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, listen it it was uh, it was a hilarious long time that I assumed that Forrest Gump was a Spielberg film. <laughs> That's all right. I 
I for the longest time I thought that Back to the Future theme was done by John Williams until I got to college. Right, and it's Jerry Goldsmith, right? <laughs> no, uh, Alvin Silvestri. Oh, that's right, Silvestri. Yeah, that's right. But um, Alan, I uh, which by the way, that theme song. Yes. All time the uh, but you talk about the time period. You talk about like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You talk about. I mean, think of, there's no like, there's no way movies like this would be made today. They, I mean, yes, they wouldn't be, but at the same time, they've tried so hard to recreate all of the stuff that came out then. Well, yeah, you're talking about recreation. I'm talking about just the sheer originality of what they were doing at this time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, the the fact that, like, like a genre mashup, like a Warner Brothers, you know, a a rubber hose animation style cartoon merged with a fairly gritty film noir, (laughs) you know, is that's, 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 that's cocaine talking. Oh, I know. Zemeckis Zemeckis is insane. He did Roger Rabbit and then he did the the Back to the Future sequels back to back after that. And then after Back to the Future 3, he did Death Becomes Her. Oh my gosh, that movie. Which I just watched uh, a few weeks ago for the first time in years. And I was like howling all the way through. Oh, that movie is really funny. That movie is hilarious. It might be one of the one of, one of my all-time favorites, I think. Um, I, and, and again, but, that's another movie. It's like, what is this movie? There's no movie like this. Right. Like, Ghostbusters. <laughs> I mean, think about <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah. I mean, just what they were doing. Oh, Batman. The 89 Batman is such a weird movie too. Like we should probably talk about sometime. Like anyway, but yeah, I just, I think this time period was just a really fascinating time period in terms of what people were putting out. I mean, gosh, Star Trek, Star Trek four came out in the midst of all of this. And that, that's, that's very much a, a movie of a piece of this conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know. And, and what I think is cool and what works with Back to the Future, and I think about it, Star Trek Four is probably an interesting companion piece to this, um, yeah. is that this was very much a, really captured what was happening with the boomers in the 80s, right. and how the boomers were starting to get nostalgic for their high school days. And yeah. the 80s had this you know kind of neo-50s thing happening um reflected in Watchmen and other things like that. And so um it's interesting that that you know they would make a movie like this it really taps into that you know Reagan era mm-hmm. uh nostalgia for the 50s well, but like in a way that in a way that subverts it. In a way. Did you do you know about Robert Zemeckis's first film? No. It's called I Want to Hold Your Hand. And it's about a group of friends uh, who go to – it's about a group of friends and their journey to get into the um, the Ed Sullivan show. When the Beatles were there. When the Beatles premiered. And they all have like their different um, – they all have different goals in mind. One of them is like about to get married and she just wants to like have one night of fun. One of them is like obsessed with the Beatles. One of them is like protesting the Beatles. One of them wants to like, uh, uh, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but it just came out on Criterion. <laughs> Another movie that. 
<laughs> Another movie that's come out of Criterion before Lost in Translation. I'm sorry, Chuck. <laughs> it's just funny at this point. Yeah. Um, but like that's why, I mean, why like, in there why isn't there a criterion uh back to the future? Don't really need one. It's perfectly it's perfectly preserved. I mean it has a four K edition. They don't need a that's true. they don't need an archive archived edition of Back to the Future. <laughs> it's, just just give me some cover art. Just make me some cover art that I can put in the case. How about that? Just... Yeah, I'm with you. Um but uh, no, Back to the Future, great movie, unconventional in its own ways. Uh, especially as like a time travel story, it, it's not like other ones. And like the other ones, like characters sort of purposely go back in time to fix something, or and then they like mess something up, and then like the future's missing, they have to change it, whatever. Um, but uh, great film, and uh, I feel like I, I'm afraid I didn't, we didn't talk much about Doc. I'm afraid we didn't, but I don't know. We'll, we'll talk more about him. Well, we we should really, well, we should definitely. I mean, first of all, Back to the Future Three is Doc's movie. Yes. Um, and the other thing is, is Back to the Future Two, you is the that? movie, is the movie where like the time travel stuff, as we in pop culture talk about it, yeah. really came into being. Right. Back to the Future Two is a much more conventional time travel movie. Yes. Because it's all about Marty wanted to use time travel to get rich, and something went wrong, and now he has to fix it. Where like it, it messed up the future, or the messed up the present. Now he has to go back and fix it. Pretty conventional time travel movie in sci-fi, as far as sci-fi goes. No, I mean this is the one I saw in theaters, and like it blew me away with all of the special effects. It's 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 taken like this, you know, sort of first Back to the Future romantic comedy with a little bit of elements of adventure and fantasy sci-fi. Back to the Future Two is like basically like a very very post Star Wars kind of movie. <laughs> like let's just push the yes. envelope with, with special effects and what we can do. We have tons of money. Let's just throw it on the screen. Let's see what we can do. Well, and I and I think it's also a great movie that does pay off on the tease that happens at the end of the first Back to the Future. Yeah. Right? Because that little sting – I mean, because Back to the Future is a complete film. It does not need a sequel. Right, yeah. And it's not it's not intending to lead into a sequel. Right. Um, and like when, when Doc takes off in that flying car, you know, hinting that he's been to the future or whatever, like that becomes like a cool thing for for – You'd be like, oh, that's what the future looks like. Yeah. Um, actually, let me think about it. Back to the Future One ends with Doc coming back and saying, like, it has to do with their kids, right? Right. Yeah. So, all right. So, so they did set it up for a sequel. I mean, I don't remember if like they actually ever intended for there to be a sequel. It is, however, I think a good example of a sequel that that does a de that does a good job of sort of carrying the narrative forward rather than just trying to redo what the first one did. Right. Um, and when you read about like that, well, like, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> technically, <laughs> well, okay. It's true. Cause they, they, it's been the second half of the movie, basically redoing the first movie. Yeah. yeah. That's a I, point I, of view. <laughs> I always forget about that because I always, I, I always think about the, 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 the 2015 stuff. Yeah. Um, I never think about, I, never I mean, the 2015 about... stuff gets resolved really quickly. It does, but it act. dominates the movie. Yeah. 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 It's funny because, yeah, the 2015 is the only the first act of the movie, and the rest of the movie is them back in yeah. 55. Just trying to get the almond and stuff. Yeah. Very creative, though. It's, I think it's a very creative way of handle how they handle all the stuff from 55. Um, yeah. But the. Uh, um, 
but yeah, but I think that, but in the same token, right? Like the idea that it's well better than the initial early ideas for the sequel where Marty is going to find out that his parents were hippies. Yeah. At stock. I think George was like a college professor or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember it's not very exciting. Um, but one thing that's interesting about both two and three, uh, they actually do give Marty the character arc in these two films. Right. Uh, they add the, the one character flaw he has, which is like when someone calls him a chicken, or, mm-hmm. you know, he like gets, he's triggered. <laughs> When, when Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, <laughs> calls him names. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's – I mean, I guess that's why I don't – like, I don't – the sequels are fun. I like the sequels. But it's the same way I feel about, like, Indiana Jones and those sequels, Razor Lost Ark and the sequels, which is they're, they're fun in their own right, but they they become little conventional. And I don't – I just don't – I don't love them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like I, I see yeah. I look at Back to the Future and I like this is just a cinematic achievement in my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Two and three. It's like, oh, this is the fun follow up. Like, we're just kind of having fun with the things that we established and see where we can go with it. Yeah, no, you're totally right. about that. <clears throat> I think Back to the Future 2 shines not because of the time travel stuff or Maybe not even so much the story, which is you know it's it's, it's fine. I think I think that movie is Biff's movie, mm-hmm. and I think at that time people loved Biff. Like I mean, how many times did you hear impressions of like "Hello, Hello, McFly"? You know, or people calling each other "Butthead," or like getting analogies wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> make like a le- make like a tree and get out of here. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, he was. It's kind of like how the first Austin Powers movie, people just sort of latched on to Doctor Evil, and so they made the second movie just all about Doctor Evil, like Doctor right. Evil bits. And it's like, so yeah, I look at Back to the Future Two as like Biff's big movie. That's true. Yeah, Back to the Future Two is Biff's movie, and Back to the Future Three is Doc's movie. Totally. Yeah, I, I see that definitely because Marty is still kind of, even though he's now given like a, a bit of a story. You know, he's not, he's not like a, he's charming and he's fun to watch, but he's not like a, it's almost kind of like Batman in a way. How like, we don't really go to Batman movies just to see Batman. We go for the villains. <laughs> right. Right. Don't you think? Like, that's kind of how it became. That's kind of what Batman movies sort of became in a way. Yeah. Because how much can you really deal with dour billionaire who dresses up like a bat and fights crime, right? It's what makes Batman interesting is the, you know, he's this dark brooding character with all these just like over the top flamboyant people all around him. Right. Marty is a charismatic character that knows how to overcome obstacles in very clever ways. And that's Mm -hmm. why we like Marty. That's why we love Marty. That's why he's so cool. And the people who, who put those obstacles in the way is definitely, you know, the second one's Biff. And he's, yeah, Mark, yeah, say Marty doesn't really go through much of like a hero's journey. Not really. I don't think so. Maybe a little bit in Back to the Future 2 when he realizes that he's messed up the timeline. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you have some emotional scenes like when he finds out like George was shot and killed by, by Biff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, like that's like 
Smith turning out to be like a murderer. It's like total game changer in that movie. Oh yeah. Um, and I, and I love like like tangent universe Hill Valley and Back to the Future too. Because uh, it's, it's so apocalyptic. Can, yeah, Skinner is great in it. Can I can I really quickly just comment on something that does bug me about about that? Is when they accuse Zemeckis of being a racist. He's not. That's um it it was it a poor choice, perhaps. But if you're gonna try to go for cinematic shorthand to reveal to the audience that this is not Marty's house and things are very, very different. Yeah. Putting a black family in there is a really quick way of being like, oh, well, that's not Marty's family. <laughs> yeah. Right? You put like the exact opposite of him in the room, right? You, you can, you know, it, the accusations about Marty inventing rock and roll, that's a fair conversation. Yeah. But, but it was, it's, it's the joke. It's a joke. Like, it's not. Right. It's also a joke. Yeah. It's an offhanded joke. Right. It's a reference more than anything, <laughs> you know. I, I, I find I, the criticism valid. I just don't, I, I don't think it's like. I don't. There, there was a time when I feel like people were really going after film Twitter, especially. We're really going after like Zemeckis movies, like Back to the Future and Forrest Gump, being like, "These are just like super, you know, right wing propaganda films." Like, no, it's not. Like, he might have. I mean, sure, Zemeckis might have like you know complicated politics, but like every artist does. So I don't know, but whatever. I mean, Forrest Gump definitely is like, I mean, it's sort of annoyingly pro boomer, but still a good movie. I like it. I like watching it. Yeah, I will say that uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, really ruined movies like Forrest Gump for me. <laughs> yeah. Because of that whole thing of like, we're in the 1960s. It's the most important time in history. Like, the, the, the just wearing it on their sleeve, making fun of how Hollywood does that about the 60s. It, it's funny. But, um, but yeah, I um, the thing that me for me with Back to the Future that I find very entertaining is to talk about like I love like all the theories and ancillary crap around it. Like I love, you know, like I, yeah, you talk about like like the whole thing with the tangent universe and like you know how that works its way into um, Avengers Endgame. Like I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Um. um one thing that they they pointed out in this interview that I watched, I thought was really interesting, and it never really occurred to me why it works so well. Christopher Lloyd as Doc, he most of his um, like one of the points to his character is to like reveal to the audience like what is happening, right, and like how things mm-hmm. work, and you really couldn't find a better character actor to deliver all that information. Like, just think of like everything, you know, about time travel because you heard it from doc. Right. And just the way he delivers it and the way he, he like just, just his performance and how he, and how he got it across. Like, that's what you probably, that's probably why you remember it. It wasn't some like guy just like drawing on a chalkboard or whatever. Some dry professor, some professor, George, George McFly. <laughs> drawing on the chalkboard <laughs> it was doc and he's like crazy and he's like and he, you go down on this and marty oh the universe gonna explode marty you know except they do break their own uh they break their own model in that movie how because it doesn't make any sense for biff to come back to 
2015 Hill Valley as he left it because by dropping off the almanac, he's created the well, he, he's so he should have gone to the 2015 of the version of the timeline that Marty and Doc go to. What I'm saying is, is that on screen, he should not have come back. We oh, should not have seen him come back. That's true. Well, I mean, I think that's why he's like, when you see him come back, he's like kind of, he's falling and frailing around. Like there's a deleted scene where he falls over and he disappears. Right. I mean, it's clear that they were sort of acknowledging that like the time stream to get Loki on everything has to like catch up. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time. <laughs> it takes time. Yep. But I just, and like the other one, I, I brought it up last week. I don't know if it made it into the episode last week, but the fact that there's the whole rogue Marty running around, that's one of my favorite little yeah. theories. Well, and then that's that's what I kind of wonder about, too, because I was like, maybe, I mean, you don't see the changes until he goes home and falls asleep and he wakes up, and that's when the changes are like, maybe it took time. But the fact of the matter is, if he came back, I mean, what, what, the theory is, uh, go ahead and explain the theory. So the theory is, is that, okay, so, and no, the time changes have already taken place because the mall, so the movie opens and the mall is a Twin Pines mall. Yeah. Marty goes back in time. Right. He runs over a pine tree. And so in the future, when he comes back, the mall is known as Lone Pine Mall. Okay. So the future has been changed since he came The back. future has been changed. So when Marty comes back and he sees Doc get shot by the Libyans, right. and then he sees, he sees himself or he sees a Marty get into the DeLorean and take off then, which by the way, we're just supposed to ignore the fact that the Libyans are around. Um, he runs over to doc and then doc has the bulletproof vest on. He survives. So that's it. So first of all, the doc at the beginning of the movie, like truly dies because yeah. this is a different doc that we're in, in, in encountering at this point. Right. But the other thing is, is that Marty who goes back in time, we never hear from him again. Yeah. The Marty that we've been following now takes over his life. And the parents that Marty experiences when he wakes up that morning are not his parents. That's the other Marty's parents. So what happened to that Marty and that George? And then, and then Jennifer becomes Jen Elizabeth Shue, and it just becomes crazy. <laughs> but that's the thing is, where's that other Marty? Whatever happens to him? He's off having his own time travel adventures. Um, we need to talk about Back to the Future 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. Well, you know, you say that. But it's a good it's movie. It's a lot of fun. I do. I, I greatly enjoy that movie. It is, even though we're starting to get even more conventional in terms of a time travel story and in terms of just a story altogether. It's Doc's. Yeah, it's because it's, it's it's really hard to call it a time travel story. It's just a western. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what most like time travel stories were back then, right? Or, or before Back to the Future, which is just like you go back in time and isn't it funny this person is out of place? Ha ha ha. Yeah, I don't know. Not so much about changing the future or whatever, um, but just, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's just a Western, and it's it's all about Doc falling in love with uh, Clara, played by the wonderfully talented, and mm -hmm. um, whom I'm, I'm sure is a vampire, uh, Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. <laughs> a woman who does not age. Um, although I'm sure they call that plastic surgery. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. You do what you, you, do, you, facts. you, you do. You do you. State um, facts. But no, Mary Steenburgen, uh, awesome actress. And she is great as Clara in this movie and like a great love interest for doc. Yes. Um, 
and it, it really is it kind of go it goes back to its roots a little bit and then it's it's more of like a romantic comedy slash adventure fantasy sci-fi thing mm-hmm. um not so much about the mechanics of time travel of like trying to undo things but just uh, he wants to get marty wants to get doc back to the present he wants to save doc and also because it, he finds like his gravestone that he was killed by buford tannin which again bad dog mad dog tannin mad dog tannin again another a plus performance from thomas wilson my favorite diff mad really? dog tannin. <laughs> i like get my killer done before breakfast <laughs> i just i just like it because it, it's a great um you know marty learns to not be such a hothead mm-hmm. and doc falls in love and I love. I actually really love the uh, the big set piece at the end, which again reminiscent of you know what uh, of like sending the DeLorean back to the future in the first movie. Sort mm-hmm. of the same concept. You have this like sort of like high stakes, just sort of bizarre situation, in order to go back to the present, and involving the train and the. Uh, what were the what were the things called? They were using the logs. The yeah, the ones that like they they can they can cause the high the fire to burn hotter. Yeah, so the time it... travel logs uh... <laughs> <laughs> with their different loved, colored smoke. I loved that whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing it when I was a kid and being like kind of disappointed by it. Uh, because I don't know, it's not, it wasn't the Back to the Future two adventure special effects adventure. And I guess, do, do people really love Westerns going into the nineties? But there was that, but there was a boom of them though, like tombstone. Yeah. And well, they were, they, be, they had become Fire. either like super referential, like tombstone, which was like, mm-hmm. uh, like a, like a, like a, like a real, like, like a John Wayne Western, or they were like super gritty, like unforgiven. Yeah. Um, but uh, and ZZ Top, it, it makes her a uh, famous appearance in Back to the Future 3. Uh, if you look closely, they are not playing their instruments. Oh, that's funny. Like, they're just like, <laughs> you know, like that video of, um, there's that performance Nirvana they did where, like, they said they're oh, the yeah. pre recorded. There's just like video of Kirk and May just playing the song. <laughs> The, the 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 fairly uh, historically accurate invention of the frisbee is featured in that movie. <laughs> frisbee, far out. Here's where uh, okay, here's where I get confused, Chuck. Speaking okay. of Marty, um, why didn't they just take the fuel lines from the other DeLorean and the gas tank out of the gas from the other DeLorean and solve all their problems? I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't. <laughs> that's not what I was going to ask. <laughs> I was very confused as to why Marty's great 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 grandmother was Leah Thompson. <laughs> yeah, that's another troubling one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I understand she has to be in the movie. I get it, but I mean, come on. I know. <laughs> more disturbing. More disturbing. Why is it? Why is it? Why is it Marty basically as his own great great grandfather? Well. I, I I mean I we we know the behind the scenes reason. From a, yeah, because Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah, famously uh, re- refers to Bob Gale these days as a criminal. Right. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, we haven't talked about that. Crispin Glover does not like these movies very much. He does not. Um. Even though he gives a performance of a lifetime in the first one. 
Uh, the reason why he's not in Back to the Future Three is because or two or two. He's not. He's not. He's only in two in flashback. And then the the guy who plays old version of him is wearing prosthetic makeup and is upside down so that the audience won't know that yeah. it's not Crispin Glover. It was made of a cast based on Crispin Glover's features. Yeah. Uh. Well, and I think the reason why he wasn't the second was he just wanted more money and they wouldn't give it to him. And that's yeah, he wanted it. to be paid as much as Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Which I mean, I gotta be honest, Chuck. I don't blame him. I consider him a bit of a protagonist esque to character. I guess I don't know. I, I guess he can't pay everyone the same price in a movie, but like, I don't. Well, but in him. the sequels, he's not. He's not in the sequels nearly as much though as he was in the first one. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, did they have more planned for him? I guess they did that that one draft where like he was supposed to go back to the nineteen sixties. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe is that why they changed it because he wasn't coming back, or was maybe it just not good. Maybe I should have done research for this episode. Well, but Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson were also dating in real life at the time. No, I didn't know. Um, and uh, so that also adds to it. Um, but yeah, it is funny that Leah Thompson is playing his yeah, a McFly. <laughs> so like, is that like actually not that? Not that wide of a family tree there. As, I guess not. Hill did Valley. George actually wind up with like a second cousin or something? Is that Hill Valley is a one Starbucks town apparently. <laughs> um, but I don't know. What is there? To, I I can't think of anything to say about Back to the Future Three. I'm sorry. The time the time train's fun. Oh, the kid who pees his pants on camera. How about that? <laughs> yeah, there is that bizarre take that I didn't notice until people started pointing it out. Which at the end of Back to the Future Three, when Doc and Marty are talking to each other on the train, they do a close. They close in on on Doc, and over his shoulder, either Jules or Vern, I don't know, is like gesturing towards the camera, like that he has to pee. And then he pees his pants. Well, I don't remember that part. I don't think uh... they they have edited it out in subsequent. Things that. they, I understand they've done like color correction and stuff to make it disappear. But yes, in the uh, from what I understand, if you can track down an old version, I have to check my old DVD because I have the old DVD. You can actually see the kid pee his pants. That's unfortunate. Uh, it is, and it's unfortunate they couldn't do another take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know what is it with Michael J. Fox films and people with like questionable like growing things going on because there's that whole thing with the dude with his pants open and teen wolf you know that was just a different time of film do you not know about that no well maybe i do <laughs> yeah. it's a family guy joke that there's a guy who takes his you know what out in the in the stands during the finale of I think, oh teen wolf. i think i have heard of that yeah yeah um and it is what it is is that uh the, the truth the true story of it is that the guy was uh they it was a long shoot yeah. And they were doing lots of sitting and standing. And so his pants were starting to kind of like, <laughs> like, like pinch him or whatever. So he just undid his pants just to like relieve some pressure and then forgot to put him back on when he did the crowd standing and it wound up on camera. And it's not like, it's not, you can just see his underwear. It's not like he was doing anything lewd. Here's the thing. Um, I've been on film shoots before. I've acted in a film. Mm -hmm. uh, night shoots where I was very active. I can't say there was ever a moment of time where I was like, you know, I should take off my pants. <laughs> I should really take these bad boys off for a minute before we start shooting again. 
hey man some people are just like that you know <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, Back to the Future, Back to the Future Three is it's an enjoyable movie, um, but it's yeah, there's really it's a more grown up movie. It's very conventional in how it approaches time travel, like a time travel story, very conventional yeah. story in itself because it's just like a love story, two people trying to come together. Um, but it has the Back to the Future sheen on it, which you know brings puts the butts in seats, right? Um, which you know, it's it's kind of the same thing with Indiana Jones, in my opinion. Um, but uh, the real sequel that that I love. Oh, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Is the Back to the Future ride? Oh my! Um, pour one out. Let's pour. Yeah, let's pour out many. By the way, bad idea getting rid of that ride. Apparently, it's still uh, going at the Tokyo Universal Studios. Really. Interesting. Well, bad idea because that movie has only grown in popularity. Like it's only become more popular as time goes on. Um, and I, I think that's another fascinating thing about the movie is that like the fandom that's come out of it, and not just the fandom, but like just everyone loves this movie. It's like it, it's it's mm-hmm. like a almost like a Wizard of Oz in terms of classics, yeah. right? Or like a Willy Wonka, which by the way turns fifty today. Oh man, we should. If I know, we could have done a whole Willy Wonka episode. I love that movie. Yeah, I do too. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that. This is like a, like a great fantasy classic film, and it's just it's so bizarre to me to to get rid of the ride. I mean, I guess they they didn't know it was becoming more and more popular. <laughs> um, but, no, nah, man, it's just Universal's bad about that. They get rid of every like their yeah. their rides do not have the longevity of like a, like Disney. Like I'll just say it. Like they're just bad about it. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, think about. You can go to Disney World, and you can still ride Peter Pan, which was there when the park opened. Right. Um, you can go like you can go to the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse and walk around. Ain't nobody watching Swiss Family Robinson, you know? Like that's just not that's just not like a like a must see, you know? Like I, I it was a part of my childhood, but it's just yeah. you know I've introduced my kids to it, but it's just not one of those. But they didn't retheme it as like Tarzan or something. No. Interesting. Did. Huh. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean, of course, they've made adjustments to, but the ride is still around and it has, you know, longevity because of the, the films. But, you know, like, you know, the people mover. I mean, there's all these things at Disney that have been around since, you know, 1971 when Disney World opened. Stuff at Disneyland is still around from from its founding, you know, and all that. The fact that they, but like in that, when Universal Studios Orlando opened in what, like 1989 or 88? 90, 91. 90, 90. Was it 91? Yeah. There's not a what ET is the only thing, yeah, that is still around from there. Spielberg says that if they ever got rid of it, he would leave. Like he would stop. See, yeah. Why didn't Zemeckis say that about Back to the Future? I just maybe he didn't like it. Maybe, uh, but what a great, what a fun ride. It was, and you know, the first time we went on it, I think I was like eight years old, and. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Like I knew there was a Back to the Future ride, and I knew I had to do it like yesterday. And I didn't know like what a flight simulator was. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, like my my mind, little mind was blown. This mm-hmm. giant screen, and like I'm flying around in the DeLorean after Biff, like a little kid's dream come true. Oh yeah, <laughs> I grew up watching those movies. <laughs> and it and it's a sort of ride that like that that that's mostly what 
a lot of theme park attractions are now. I mean, like easily one of the best rides at Disney, top two rides at Disney is Avatar's Flight of Passage. And it's uh, uh, functionally the same concept. Yeah. Giant screen with 3D glasses moving around. Right. Um, <laughs> me and my friends, uh, we used to go, when I lived in Orlando, and I used to go to Universal Studios all the time with my friends, we once got kicked off the ride uh, because we tried to stand up on it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and we were just this dumb little idea. Yeah. We were trying to stand up on it and they noticed it and we noticed that like the car started going down. <laughs> and like, you know, one of the one of Doc Brown's assistants is like, okay, do you know why we stopped the ride for you? <laughs> we're like, no. It's like you cannot stand up in the DeLorean. <laughs> And this poor family was like in front of us who were like, what's going on? <laughs> I've always said that like Universal used to open up a park made up just of its old rides. Uh, there is a company uh, that is doing that virtually with old Disney rides. And I think they might be trying to do it with they're reconstructing them from like people's VHS footage or whatever and digitizing it and creating like virtual reality versions of old rides and i think the idea is that you can pump it through something like an oculus rift and have the experience of going on these old rides that's cool which i think is brilliant why like why don't release that as a video game concept people would buy that i think well universal famously released an islands of adventure video game i don't even remember that I, or no, no it wasn't Islands of Adventure video game it was a universal studios video game for the gamecube Oh, I think I do kind of remember this now. And you could play, you could, uh, there was a a Back to the Future level. You're in the DeLorean and you have to hunt down Biff and bump him. And apparently it's like terrible though. Awful. I'm famously, most Back to the Future games are sort of famously bad. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's hard. It's, 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 a, it's a story that doesn't really yield well to video gaming, I think. Of course not. Just like there was, there was no reason for an E.T. video game. <laughs> I wish somebody would have the balls to make a new ET video game or a Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. Just I hear is probably worse than ET. You know what game I think is really cool sounding? What is uh, there's a there's a Predator video game out now that is like a it's like Fortnite, where it's like a group shooter. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah, one of your per, one of your people is randomly assigned the Predator, and your job as the Predator is to hunt down your friends, which I think is a really fun idea. Yeah, they um, they actually took that concept from the Friday the Thirteenth game that it came yeah. out kind of before it, and which Brilliant. was subsequently canceled and taken off the shelves <clears throat> because of the uh, Friday the Thirteenth lawsuit that had happened. Mm-hmm. Very complicated. I'll go into it. But anyway, back to the future. Back, back, back to Back to the Future. <laughs> um, I could talk all day about Universal Studios, Chuck. Like, oh my gosh, like, and and the decisions they make, and and just, dude. I mean, I mean, just Universal I, in general. I think as a studio, does not really give much <sighs> of a crap about his legacies. You know, I feel blessed enough to have gotten all of the Universal monster movies uh before they were like no we don't want to release these things anymore um but i don't know we live in a changing media landscape and just uh i don't know they don't i never got the feeling that universal cared much about the movies that came from them in the past 
I mean, you know, like I, I, I miss being able to go visit Cyberdyne at T23D and yeah. the queue for King Kong for the King Kong ride is one of the best queues I've ever, you know, yeah. uh, great theme park design there. But now, you know, but hey, tell me more about how, you know, Harry Potter is going to be around forever. Ugh. Which I don't want to knock it. It actually is a really cool experience. I've, I've been to the Harry Potter sections at the park. It's really but, cool. But I mean, are I'm there? Not, but it's not movies. Like Universal Studios is kind of responsible for my love of movies. And my wanting to become a filmmaker. When I was a kid, a young, impressionable kid, I was learning about, you know, behind the scenes stuff when I was going to the park. Mm -hmm. And that was inspiring that interest for me. That Hitchcock ride. Oh, gosh, that yes. Earthquake ride. Yeah, earthquake. Um, those were great. All I could say is, yeah, I mean, I, I love the first Back to the Future, like, with all my heart. And I like, and I appreciate, and I love the sequels too. Um, but like Indiana Jones, you know, to me, the first movie is just like a beautiful work of cinema. And the two are just sort of like the fun follow-ups. And exactly. Michael J. Fox, God bless him and everything he's done and everything he has to go through now as he's gotten older and battling Parkinson's. Um, he is brilliant in these movies. And like I said, like Marty McFly, like I wanted to be Marty when I was a kid. I wanted the life preserver. <laughs> I wanted I, – I, I, I tried to learn how to skateboard. I never could. Um, but I don't know. He was just like uh, – it, it, it's all because of Michael J. Fox. Like they had Eric Stoltz playing Marty for like five weeks, I think. And people just got sick of him because he was trying to use like method acting. He like he wouldn't respond to anyone calling him Eric. He would they'd have to call him Marty. And he would even this, like apparently yeah, this, this not that kind of movie, dude. Yeah, and apparently he also was like trying to like beef with uh, Thomas Wilson. <laughs> oh yeah, he apparently actually punched him. Oh really? That's yeah. one of the things I learned a couple years ago in the scene where. He, because I'm trying to think when, when does, it's in the bar, it's in the, it's in the, uh, like the malt shop. Yeah. Scene. I think he actually punches him. Really? Or he does something anyway. It really ticked off, uh, Biff and he, I think re retaliated quite, at, <laughs> quite, uh, uh, Strongly. Let's just be honest. We would we would care about Eric Stoltz in that role if he did it in his like Elephant Man makeup. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I feel uncomfortable joking about that. <laughs> I don't know if I should. If I should yes and that. I don't know if I could do that. We're gonna come for us. Cancelled. So it just makes me think of that joke that I told you that I kind of uh, when I found out that uh, in Cobra Kai, when they ended that season two with the reference to Allie to Elizabeth Shue's character, and they had no idea if they were ever going to be able to get Elizabeth Shue to show up uh, in the next sequel next season, that they should have got the actress who played uh, Jennifer in the first Back to the Future to play <laughs> Allie. I, I think that would have been really funny. <laughs> That's actually that would have been great. <laughs> Um, yeah, we haven't even talked about Elizabeth Shue. 
Yeah, well, you know, way. one thing I've noticed is that she's actually not as prominent as I remember. She, she doesn't no. have very many scenes. I think it's the funniest thing. I, I, I really legitimately find it just hilarious that they went through this whole big deal of recasting the role of Jennifer, yeah. and she spends like 80% of Back to the Future 2 unconscious yeah. and then is only at the very end of Back to the Future 3 yeah. where they left her in the middle of Back to the Future 2. I just think that's really funny. It is. It's very funny. And and I didn't know I didn't really I've never noticed how little time, how little screen time Elizabeth Shue actually has. And her character doesn't really do much. I mean, she she witnesses Marty getting fired and holds on to that note and it disappears at the end. Doc is able to deliver the point of the movies, you know, the future's what you make it. But for the most part, like uh, she doesn't really do much. <laughs> like not not that important. Yeah, I I think it's really funny that she, yeah, spends majority of the second movie unconscious. It's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I as I speak about this, I realize I think we we may have found a possible solution for our rogue Marty. Oh yeah. Because uh, remember, uh, Elizabeth Shue is left on a porch in alternate 1985. Yeah. And Doc makes the point of saying that if all goes right, everything should change around her and she'll be fine. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened in the course of Marty's return to uh, return to 1985 in the first film is that everything changed around him and that that Marty going back in time is still him. Just everything changed around him. Huh. That's probably true. So when Marty left initially, that sign had already changed alone fine. Yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. That's probably, but, but then again, I, I then like our theory better. Change. I do too. I, it makes, it, it kind of works the idea that like, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but it, the, the, the thing is, is we never actually see, we never actually see Doc and Marty in, uh, alternate 1985. That's like true. we don't see like we never see Alt Doc Alt Marty in nineteen eighty five. Yeah, Marty's in boarding school and Doc is uh, committed. Right. Yeah. So. <clears throat> well, great. So maybe maybe only one uh, like nineteen eighty five Marty and Doc can inhabit any nineteen eighty five at a given time. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, I love this. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Come on. <laughs> This is the stuff that our listeners go for. They don't care about, like, I don't know. They care. Um, yeah, we didn't really get to talk much about the score, which, I mean, like, <gasps> I could listen to it all day. Um, I even like the the Western score mm-hmm. in the third movie. Like, I, I love that they differentiated that. Like, they didn't just care. It was not just, like, a Western version or the background right. music score. It's, like, a whole new score, a whole new theme. Uh, kind of makes me wonder, like, if they went to different time periods with like future movies, like different scores and different themes, like from period appropriate themes. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is there, like, yeah, is there like is there more synths in twenty in the 2015 sequence or something? <laughs> kind of want to pay attention to that. No, but I will um, say the score does become a bit more epic in the second movie. Mm-hmm. It's a bit longer, a bit more detailed. Um, it's more uh, you know, I just think about. You know, I, I love listening to like scores and thinking about composers and how they like how they can come up with something that's like 
yeah, that's the sound. Like that's that's the sound of this movie because you know, like John, I mean John Williams for crying out loud. It just blows me away how many iconic scores that man has created. Yeah. But like but like then to think of like people like um, I can't remember his name. Um, the guy who came up with the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. Oh, Hans Zimmer. No, no, is uh, isn't it a wasn't Hans Zimmer like the sequels? The first one was a different guy, Klaus Bedelt. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Did the first, yeah, he came up with the, the, that score, and then Hans Zimmer did um, the sequels, except well, for Clock. Hans Zimmer did a great job with the score in the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I think is actually the best score in the entire series. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to talk about Pirates of the Caribbean someday. Yeah, but just the first three. We don't yes. need to waste our time on the other ones. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to um, um, <clears throat> But... Um, but anyway, but yeah, Silvestri's score. I mean, just to just to come up with a, a, a piece of music that it's like. I mean, to me, it's akin to the Indiana Jones theme. It's just yeah. when you hear it, you know what it is, and you get excited. Right. And it doesn't belong anywhere else. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's not like um like I love the Rocketeer theme. Right. Um, also, the Rocketeer. Yeah, it's great. But it can wind like, but you could use Rocketeer theme in other movies. Mm-hmm. Like you could put, you could put. Well, I was gonna say you could put the you could put the Rocketeer in uh, the Rocketeer theme in Captain America, which is Joe Johnson directed both movies. And also, Alan Silvestri scored Captain America for the the first Avenger. So there we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, you're right though. Uh, Back to the Future. I don't. I can't imagine any other movie that could have a theme like that. Um, and there's a oh gosh and, and I don't know what it is about it but there's a there's a an overture in the Back to the Future soundtrack that I I just love listening to I'll just I'll throw it on and partly because it's like an amazing score and also because it used to play a lot during the Back to the Future queue <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of goes through the more sort of emotional beats and that's another thing about the score the way the score is used in the movie is to accentuate certain like in the scene in the first movie when when Christopher Lloyd is explaining what they have to do to get him back to the present mm-hmm. those music the music cues are happening in that scene but in that scene it's just dialogue like it's just right. a performance driven scene but that big bombastic score is happening and you know he does that thing we'll send you back to the future and it just kind of drowns out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's used again in Back to the Future 2 when when Christopher Lloyd is explaining what a paradox is. The music is heightening and heightening and heightening until he says that everything's going to explode. It can destroy the universe. And of course, even then he brings down again as well. Maybe it might just be our, own, our solar system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christopher Lloyd, man. What I know we've talked about it a little bit, but just I'm just trying to think about right the, the the roles that I think of him, obviously Doc Brown, but also his Klingon in Star Trek Three and yes. and the and the villain that he plays in Roger Rabbit. Oh Those are God. just three three great roles. Also, my, my and I'm probably going to get some flack, but Doc Brown is actually not my favorite Christopher Lloyd role. My favorite Christopher Lloyd role Taxi? No. Although that is a great role, is Uncle Fester from the Adams Family. Oh, I forgot that he's Uncle Fester. Perfect casting. He is, he is unbelievably good in those movies. 
Especially Adam Sandler. Like, that, that's another thing. That's that, that's what I'm saying. Like, what they did to Biff in the Back to the Future, they, they do to Christopher Lloyd in the Adam's Family movies, where, like, he was so good in that first Adam's Family movie. The second Adam's Family movie is all about him. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy that Christopher Lloyd's not doing much these days. Well, he's, he's very old. And also, right. there is a... Robert Zemeckis did put a thing together for the Blu-ray release with Christopher Lloyd playing Doc. And it's kind of sad to watch because he's so old and he's just acting in front of a camera. It's very strange about like how he's still I've acting. seen it. Yeah, it's... I don't like it. <laughs> it's didn't, I'm trying to think, did they, didn't they make it as sort of like a... as sort of like a way to sort of address like 2020 or something? I guess so. Oh yeah, why twenty fifteen hadn't changed or whatever. Like Yeah. Eh, I don't know. And like that they show like all the artifacts like the the hoverboard and the almanac and they all like disappear one after another or something. I don't know. It's sad. I don't like watching it. It's like looking into the abyss, like confronting my mortality. I, I'm not into that. And not like the not like the great James Cameron film The Abyss. You're yeah, talking no, no, about no. like the actual like the void that stares back in. No, no, no. You've never lost a battle in your life. Now fight. Uh, or no, you never back down. What's the What's the line? What does he tell her? Where he's giving oh, from the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> when he's like slapping her around while she's unconscious. Yeah. That's it, a movie, by the way, that I've been meaning for years to show my wife. I I, I, I love Avatar. Right. I love Avatar. It is. Uh, it is. It is one of my favorite films of all time. But I think I think the Abyss might be James Cameron's best movie. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I say that while also saying I've never seen True Lies. So well, it, I'll I'll say the Abyss is better than True Lies. True Lies is great. I love True Lies, but the Abyss is better. But I mean, I'm thinking Terminator Two, Aliens. I, that's tough. I mean, a- Aliens I think is his best. Uh, that movie makes me go insane every time I watch it. Like, have we talked about the Aliens franchise? No. I don't know if I can just like devote a little bit of time to Aliens. I have to have an entire episode to talk about Aliens. We should do it. We should do an entire episode about Alien. Like we should maybe we should do a one two of Alien and Aliens. Probably. I, I I mean I'm down with that. I mean I could talk endlessly about Aliens. It's in my top ten. Here's what we could do. We've talked. I think we probably touched enough on Alien with Prometheus. We haven't really talked about Alien, so maybe what we should do is this. Maybe we should try to do like a two-parter. Let's leave this in the recording. Let's not edit this out. Okay. Like we're not just having a staff meeting. Um, <laughs> let's. Why don't we do like at some point we'll do Aliens. Yeah. And then I will commit myself to watching Alien Three for the first time. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then talk about that. Sure. Sure. We'll do that. I don't want to talk about knowing, Alien Resurrection. <laughs> no, because like knowing that, okay, keep in mind, the Alien movies that I have seen before Alien 3 are, yeah. you know, obviously 1 and 2, um, uh, Alien Resurrection, uh, both Alien vs. Predator movies and Prometheus have not seen Covenant yet. So I've seen all of those before I've seen Alien 3. Right. Um, I played the Super Nintendo Alien 3 video game, uh, but I have I've not. So that might be kind of a fun thing to do for me, like watch it and to finally comment on it. Or something. If we're talking about Alien and Alien 2, Alien and Aliens, I'm going to start preparing right now. <laughs> because those are like, 
Aliens is in my top ten of all time. Aliens Dude, you is know, in my top ten horror movies of all time. I mean, you know, you, you know about me, right? I mean, yeah, okay. I've got my uh, my reaction. <laughs> nice. Uh, big chap. Xenomorph. I have the whole yeah the big chap. I have the whole set actually. Um, Kane and all of them. Um, I've not opened it yet. I keep. I'm so tempted to do it. Mm, I don't know. You should have bought another my, one. I should. My um. My holy grail toy, by the way, is um, um, the, the the big Kenner figure that looks like this. The the one that like oh, yeah. parents the, vandalized because they were so horrified at the idea of their kids having an alien toy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hey, did you ever own any Back to the Future merchandise when you were a kid? I. Ooh. Are you ready? Yeah. Micro machine. <laughs> I should have brushed this out earlier. Nice. Yeah. I owned a. Uh, I had. I had a. I had an RC version of the of the DeLorean when I was a kid. I think I may have had that. Too. I also had a DeLorean uh, Power Wheels. Do you remember Power Wheels when we were kids? Oh, that, that's cool. Uh, oh yeah, I when I saw it, I like. Uh, I had a Power Wheels Jeep. Oh, okay, yeah. What, what was what was sad about it is that like I could not drive it anywhere <laughs> because we were living in an apartment at the time. So I didn't. I had this DeLorean, and I would just like sit in it and watch the Back to the Future movies. <laughs> I wouldn't actually drive it anywhere. I had a I had a kit pedal car. When I was little, and I used to do the same thing with that, as I'd sit in the kit pedal car while watching Knight Rider in my grandparents' <laughs> uh, apartment. Nice. Um, but no, I got th- I actually got this uh, in the in 1989. Um, nice. There was a set that had this, the future taxi, and the future police car um, from Back to the Future Two. Cool. And um, I had the whole set, but I got rid of all of those. But I have kept the DeLorean all these years. So nice, dude. Yeah, the ride kept the merchandise train alive for a while because mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know if you remember seeing that, but I remember going to Universal Studios and going to the ride and going to the gift shop. And they had this one DeLorean where like it drove by itself and then it would stop, had this like tripod leg that would like lift up and the tires would go in and it would like spin around and like make sense. Oh, I remember that. I remember that gift shop because it had uh, actual hoverboard props yeah. suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted a uh, Marty Jr. Uh, baseball cap, the one that he wanted that's like all swirled colors, like the tie-dye cap. Never got well, one. You mean uh, the, the they call it chameleon paint, but it's like that gasoline rainbow? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can buy that. Oh, nice. Now. Yeah. Uh, I think Mondo sold it for a while. Really? Huh. Yeah, well, one of the one of the one of the uh, one of those like toy merchandising companies they were selling it. There is so much merchandise now, though. Like it's it's insane how much stuff is out there now. Like that that's like either really cheap or like really expensive. You can get like a hoverboard replica to just like put on your wall. You can get those sneakers that Marty wore in the second movie, and they self lace too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they also sell uh, the aliens sneakers. I don't know if you knew that. The one that Rick yes, oh, I would love to have a pair of those, dude. Um, 
There is only one pair of movie sneakers that I want to own, and you know what they are. <laughs> I do, because I wanted them too. The uh, the Zisu Adidas, right? Zisu Adidas. Yep. Or were they Pumas? They were Adidas. Adidas. Yeah, the Zisu Adidas I've always wanted, and the uh, Kill Bill Pumas I, I've always wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they wouldn't look good without the black and yellow tracksuit, but still, I think it'd be cool to have. Yeah. The thing is, I don't wear... I don't wear... I only wear slippers now, so yeah. like the idea of putting my foot in like a shoe, like ugh, <laughs> such a hippie. Put my foot in a shoe, ugh. just it feels so like here in Hawaii, it just feels so hot. Like I see people doing it, and I'm just like, why? Like we're in the land of slippers, man. Well, don't you go hiking and stuff? Uh, I have a pair of um, hiking Crocs. Oh, Chuck! <laughs> I can't believe you just said that sentence. What? <laughs> hiking I don't care. Crocs. That's great. I don't care. No, I love it. I think it's great that you have hiking Crocs. <laughs> I've also hiked in slippers. I have too, and it was a terrible experience. I don't know how you do that. I went, well, I went here, hiking worst... in my rainbows in the Philippines, and like it almost killed me. <laughs> the trails here are some are pretty muddy, and it was really a nightmare. Yeah, that's what happened to me. Like it all, like yeah. they almost broke because it was so. Yeah, bad. like they they suck in and yeah. Just, oh yeah. Uh huh. Sucks. Um, Okay. Well, I think that's all we have for today. (laughs) Obviously, we're we're talking about shoes now. We're turning into a riff sesh. Um, Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode listening to us talk about Back to the Future, reminisce a little bit. Uh, Tell us what you love about Back to the Future, which which is your favorite movie. Uh, do you think Eric Stoltz would have made a better Marty McFly? I don't know. You're, you're probably wrong if you think so. Um, we've, we, we have also not at all touched on the fact that this movie inspired Rick and Morty. Oh, I know. That's but the, the, less, the, the less we say about that, probably the better. Yeah, because the actual thing it inspired in terms of Rick and Morty, I don't think we can actually talk about at all. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Chuck, thank you. Hey, man, anytime. I mean, you know, anytime. <laughs> and I want to thank our audience for listening and for watching. Leave a like, subscribe, do all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you in the future. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey.